Our text this morning is Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And this is the word of God. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Will you pray with me? Father, I believe that in your word you have teaching for us, training for us, that we might know you, honor you. I believe that you have gospel in this passage to call people to salvation. And I pray that you will make your word do its work for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus promised that he would come again to this earth. But he didn't tell us when that day would be. And in his teaching of his disciples from the end of Matthew 24 through the beginning of Matthew chapter 25, Jesus has indicated to us that there would be a long period of delay between his first coming and his second coming. He also made it clear that when he does return to the earth, it's going to be sudden 
and unexpected and dramatic and globally visible. And in this, this section of Jesus' conversation with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, it includes several parables or illustrations to help Christians to know important things about how you and I are supposed to live in this period between the times of Jesus' earthly ministry and his return to earth on the clouds with power and great glory. And the first three illustrations that we've seen have already taught us a variety of things. Jesus made it clear that even if his delay seems long in coming, we must not be so lulled to sleep as to not look forward to it, that we, would, that we would not be prepared to meet him. We're supposed to stay awake. That's in 24, 42 to 44. And then the Savior warned us, don't let his delay tempt you to live sinfully, this worldly, as if he's not coming back, 24, 45 to 51. And then last week we saw that in the age of the church, there are going to be some who dress and act like Christians. They're going to kind of look like Christians. They might even come to church on a Sunday, but they will not actually be prepared to meet the Lord. That's 1 through 13 of chapter 25. And the call in all of that was for you to be sure of your own salvation by grace through faith in Christ before the day that Christ comes back. So now this morning we move forward and we're going to see the parable of the talents. And in this passage, we're going to find four application points and they're going to be found in a story, an illustration, a parable that speaks both to believers and to those who have not yet surrendered their lives to Christ. So let's just jump right in. Point number one, accept the responsibility that Christ has given us all. Accept the responsibility that Christ has given us all. Listen again to verses 14 and 15. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Now at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 25, the parable that we first saw it opened with Jesus telling us that the kingdom of heaven is going to be like 10 young women preparing for a wedding feast. This time he continues illustrating, saying that it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey. Again, he's clearly still telling us about the kingdom of God, about the church, and about how we live in this age. But the illustration this time is of a man, obviously a wealthy man, going on a journey. And, and, and it's supposed to make us think of, again, that season after Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's, he, he's on a journey, it almost feels like. Again, I mean, Jesus is with us, of course, but there's just something to be said about this that feels like this. It's going it's to feel a parallel. And before the man left, he, he gave his servants different amounts of money. Now, it would be a mistake to try to figure out exactly how much money five talents would be in our modern currency because there's just too many factors that would be involved. But you do need to understand that a talent is a large sum of money. A, a talent, according to the Tyndale Bible Dictionary, was approximately 75 pounds of gold, silver, or copper. How many of you would take that were it offered to you? Right. Now, depending on which metal... Y'all, this was a fortune. So maybe we could just 
grasp the weight of the parable simply by imagining that the man left his servants five, two, and one million dollars each. Okay, think big bucks, okay? Now, the man who left intended those servants to do something with the cash that they were given. And in an interesting fact that we can think about a little more later, isn't it interesting that the man knew that the differing abilities, the different competencies, the different giftedness of his servants should be taken into account? He gave more funds, more responsibility to the one who was most capable. He gave lower amounts to those who had lower capacity. Good master. Well, what the servants had in common, though, is that they were all given a responsibility by the man before he left. Greater or smaller, every servant had a job to do. And from this, we learn something. Stepping outside of the story, stepping out of the parable, you and I need to realize that God has given to all human beings a set of responsibilities. And the scripture speaks to us of those responsibilities so we can know exactly what God commands every one of us to do and to be. And were we to try to summarize that responsibility, that would be for us to attempt to summarize all of the Bible. That sounds almost impossible, doesn't it? But then Jesus did it. They asked him to summarize the law, and he summarized the law by saying that your call is to love the Lord your God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Or another way to say this might be to say that God calls us all to be saved and to spread the glory and the influence of his kingdom. Does God command all people to be saved? Yeah, you got to understand that, folks. There is no human being on this earth who is freed from the responsibility to turn from their sin and come to Jesus for mercy. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, the Lord says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and for your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. God commands people, come, come to me, he says. And you know what's beautiful about that passage, why I picked that one as an example? The command to come is not a command to come to something harsh or cruel. God calls us to come to Him, and in doing so, He will satisfy our very souls. In the New Testament, in Acts 17, 30 and 31, the Apostle Paul preaching says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God 
clearly, the word says, commands all people everywhere to repent. The command is universal. There is no exception. There is no human being that can say, well, yeah, but I don't have the call of God to repent. Now, once we're saved, though, once we've come, all of us are also commanded, all of us are commanded to change the world. At least a little bit of it, right? And we're to do this to the glory of God. We have the command of God to take the gospel to the nations. We have the command of God to to continue day by day personally turning from sin. Now let me ask you, do you still have sin that you need to turn from? Then you still have command of God to change the world on your life. We have the command of God to to push back the darkness of the evil around us, to demonstrate that this world is Christ's world. And how do we do that? We do that by loving the Lord. We do that by loving each other. We do this by doing biblical justice. We do this by showing mercy to people who cannot speak for themselves. We do this by taking all kinds of actions, formal and informal, small scale and large scale, simple and complex to demonstrate to the world around us that our God is glorious and that his ways are perfect. So Christian, this means that you need to be in the word of God, learning day by day what God wants of you. You need to be praying, you need to be reading, you need to be learning, you need to be obeying. You should be connecting to others in the church and talking with others in the church so that you can talk about how can I be a more faithful Jesus follower in this hard world? How can you, how can you share the gospel with somebody? Or or maybe you might even look around the room and get to know somebody and say, hey, maybe you could help me share the gospel with a friend. I I need somebody who can communicate this more clearly than I can. That's a great way to live together, guys. How can you show the world better that Jesus Christ is Lord? How can you put away sin and let what glorifies God shine through in your life? Talk to each other about that. Pray and plan and study the word about that. Examine your life. Examine your home. Accept your responsibility to glorify God. Well, continuing in the parable here, let's see how the people did with their assignments. 16 through 18, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So the master's gone in the story and the servants each act. Two of the three servants are faithful to the master. They put the money to work, they earn a profit. One of the three is unfaithful. He takes the money and hides it by burying it in a hole in the ground which back then was not as uncommon as you might think, but that was a way people might try to keep their funds from being picked up by somebody else. Now, we said earlier, all people have been commanded by God to come to faith and to spread the influence of the kingdom of God. We're supposed to accept that responsibility. But what we see here is that not everyone who appears to have accepted that responsibility really has done so. 
Do you notice that? Not everybody who looks or even claims to be a follower of the Lord Jesus really is one. And not everybody who shows up and sits in a chair at church or in a pew at church is a genuine believer. This parable is not intended to illustrate for you and me the fates of three men, two Christians, and one atheist, right? This is not, these guys really like God and this guy really acts like he hates God. The parable is supposed to make you and me think of three people who, at least outwardly, might try to make you think that they're genuine followers of the Lord. All of them were identified as servants of the Master, right? Well, in the call to accept the responsibility Christ has given us all, you need to find the need to examine yourself sincerely, asking the question, am I a true believer, follower of the Lord Jesus? Is the faith you profess genuine? And as we go further in the parable, we're going to see some ways we can check ourselves, okay? So, but we'll also see the outcome for those who are and those who are not genuine followers of Jesus. So let's go on. Point number two, expect Christ to return and judge. Expect Christ to return and judge. Verse 19 reads, Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. It's been a long time. The delay of this age is illustrated. The master does return. And when the master returned, he settled accounts with his servants. He calls them before him. He examines, what have you done with the responsibility you were given? But that's an obvious part of the parable, isn't it? You know it's going to happen. And it's just as obvious a part of the flow of human history. Friends, the God who made us will examine us. We will be judged. We will stand before the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus himself will see and declare whether or not we genuinely belong to God. Jesus will pass sentence on those who have refused his grace. And Jesus will grant gracious rewards to those who have been saved by his grace. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that there are two types of judgment for us to think about. And the first type of judgment that we'll think about is a simple question of salvation or damnation. It is the heaven or hell question. And that actually comes out in upon what basis does the Lord Jesus judge you? Jesus will either judge you based on your deeds or his grace. And if you are judged by God based on your life works, you will find yourself under the wrath of God. Why? Because none of us has the capacity to be perfect enough to please God and avoid his judgment. Just think about it. How many of you 
could say right now, the one thing I have never done in all of my years is made a single mistake. But here's the thing. There is an alternative to being judged based on your deeds. God grants grace and forgiveness to all who come to Jesus in faith for salvation. The gospel, the good news, is that you and I can be judged not based on our lives, but based on the perfection of Jesus. We can get under the shelter of his grace. If you've been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, then Jesus will pronounce you as going to heaven and not hell and you will have glorious rewards in heaven because of the life of Jesus. If you say, just judge me based on what I do, you won't make it. But what about the believer? What kind of judgment will the believer face? I mean, we know that if we stand before God, God is not going to parade our sins in front of us and and send us to hell for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. But what do we face? 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15 may give us insight. Paul writes, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's how you're saved. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. What what, what does the Bible mean when it talks about the day? The day of the Lord, the day of judgment, right? The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has done, uh, if, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Listen to me very carefully so you don't misunderstand this. Those who know Jesus will not face the fire of hell for our sin. Not because we have earned anything otherwise, but because Jesus took that punishment for us. Our sins are covered by Christ. We are granted forgiveness by God. We are counted as righteous before God because of Jesus. That's the foundation. But when we do stand before Christ, there is a kind of judgment, the judgment for reward. We will be rewarded by God for service that is faithful to the Lord. It's built on the true foundation of the gospel. And what Paul's warning about here is that some who are saved are going to find out when they stand before the Lord Jesus that though their faith was genuine and their souls are saved, their lives were not lived to the glory of God in in accordance with the word of God. So they're saved, yes. But the reward will not be what it could have been. 
What might that look like? You know, the Bible doesn't give us a detailed picture of this one. But Jesus kind of, I think, alludes to it in the verses that come next in the parable. So let's look at that. Point number three. This is for the Christ followers, okay? Christ followers, honor Christ in life for eternal reward. Point number three is Christ followers, honor Christ in life for eternal reward. Verses 20 through 23 read, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Guys, this is the good part. Two faithful servants come before their master and the master looks at their lives and he looks at their work and the servants, they accepted the responsibility that they had been given and they made a difference. Now notice that they made different amounts of money with what they'd been given. You notice that they did not make equal contribution, right? But that was totally okay. They had been given responsibility based on their unique individual giftedness. And similarly, each of them is measured not by the amount of difference that they made, but by whether or not they were faithful with what they'd been given. Don't let that skip you by. They were measured not by the amount of difference they made, but rather by the amount of faithfulness they had to what they had been given. This tells us that Christians, God expects you to be faithful with what God has given you. God is not expecting you to be an apostle Paul if he didn't gift you like he gifted Paul. But he does expect you to be faithful with the gifts and the opportunities that he's put in your life. So don't be proud and don't be sad if you're not a great scholar. Does that encourage any of you? But do not be lazy and refuse to use the brain God's given you. And don't be discouraged if you are not a powerful evangelist speaking to millions. There haven't been many of those. But neither let yourself refuse to share the gospel with the people God does put in your life. See how this works? Don't be discouraged if you're not a millionaire who can give enough money to build a water purification plant in a village in Africa. But do not either refuse to let yourself give to the work of the Lord, the work of the church, based on the finances that the Lord has blessed you with. The servants who were faithful were faithful with what they'd been given 
and they each receive a very similar reward. They're told, well done, good and faithful servant. Now realize, Christian, God has shaped your soul. I mean, think about this for a second. Who made your soul? God made my soul, right? If God made your soul, does he know how it works? Right? He designed it to function in a certain way. Listen to me. God shaped your soul to find its greatest joy in the glory of God. So, even if you can't imagine it in the here and now, know this at least with your brain if it doesn't ring true to your heart yet. For Jesus Christ to say well done to you would be the deepest joy your soul could ever possibly imagine. Can you fathom the God of the universe looking at you and saying, you did a good job. And here's the thing. You don't have to have five talents or 10 talents or 20 talents to hear that. You just have to be faithful with what he gave you. The master also tells the faithful servants, you've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Those who are faithful with their gifts in this life are going to receive from the Lord joyous responsibilities when he returns. In another parable similar to this one in Luke, Jesus speaks of giving responsibilities to to Christians to, to govern cities. Now, I have no idea if that's purely figurative or if we're going to get some sort of post-resurrection cities to work in. I, I, I don't know. But it's going to be cool. Now, here's the thing. Know this for sure. No follower of Jesus in the age when there is no longer sin, no follower of Jesus is going to be jealous of another follower of Jesus for the station that they have in eternity. Right? I'm not going to be looking at all y'all in heaven going, man, Kay got so much more than I got. She probably will, but but I'm not. (laughs) There you go. Uh, We're not going to do that. And, And you know what? Here's the truth, guys. We may be in heaven one day, and there's going to be a whole bunch of people that had microphones and led Bible studies. And they're going to look up and they're going to find out that the person God gave tremendous responsibility to was a faithful mom who prayed and changed diapers and cooked and cleaned and cared and felt like she could never get out of the house because it was just chaos. And the Lord's going to look at her and say, well done, faithful servant. You took what I gave you and you did what you were supposed to do with it. Or God may reward some faithful quadriplegic who could barely talk, but who could pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And you know what? None of us are going to be jealous of one another thinking, I should have got that seat. So there's nothing to worry about there. But God does repeatedly indicate to us that our faithfulness here matters in eternity. 
Faithful servants also hear Christ say, enter into the joy of your master. At the end of it all, we've got to understand that joy, that eternal joy, that endless joy, that soul-satisfying joy is the reward for those who have been forgiven by Christ. We want to be faithful. We want that glorious, joyful reward. So Christians, live in hope, long for Christ's return, and be faithful for the joy of the reward set before you. Now, here's the question. What about, what about servant number three? What about the unfaithful? Point number four, expect judgment if you refuse to follow Christ. I should have written that differently. I really should have. Expect condemnation. Expect wrath. Expect judgment if you refuse to follow Christ. 24 and 25 read, He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what's yours. This third servant is not faithful, friends. And his unfaithfulness reveals to us that as this parable goes, he is not a person who has come to Jesus Christ and found grace. He is not a genuine follower of the Lord Jesus, even if he looks like them, if he wears their same clothes, even if he hangs around with them. He is not a believer. Notice how he speaks. How do we know he's not a believer? He is disrespectful to the master in two ways. First, he calls the master a hard man to his face. That word hard is a word that means unyielding, harsh, cruel. The servant also says that the master gets benefits he doesn't deserve. You harvest grain, you don't even plant it. The servant does not see the master as worthy of what the master has. The servant has no love for the master. You know what? The servant doesn't even like the master. He might have a measure of fear for the master, but there's no affection for the master at all. What is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. If your heart has no love for God, not even liking for God, you should be very concerned. True believers in Jesus, even if we don't understand all of God's ways, we grow in affection for the God we serve. And if you lack that affection, if you see God as only a harsh tyrant, if you do not see God as deserving of your life and all your worship, you may not be saved. And the bad opinion that the servant had of the master led him not to do anything to expand the influence of the master. The servant hid the talent in the ground, now he returns it to the master. So besides not loving the master, besides not liking the master, besides not respecting the master, the unfaithful servant would not serve his master. 
In the Great Commission, Jesus tells us part of making disciples is to teach people to obey everything that Christ has commanded. If your life is not marked by obedience to the commands of the Lord, watch out. If you don't desire to act so as to expand the influence of the kingdom of God, be afraid. Not being willing to serve the Lord is a sign that you may not be saved. And what if you're not saved? What if you don't like God? What if you don't like His ways? What if you have no interest in serving the God who made you? I'll read the end of the parable from 26 to 30. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I've not sown? <laughs> you knew that I gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, the master sees through this servant and sees through his motivations. What does he call the servant? He calls him wicked and lazy. And then he uses the servant's own words to condemn the servant. <laughs> you think I'm hard? You think I get things I don't deserve? You think my money grows even when I won't do the work myself? If you think those things, you should have at least feared me enough to put my money in the bank so it could earn a little interest. But your failure to do that shows me not that you respect me and not that you fear me, but that you willingly defy me. Then the master takes that gold that the one servant gave him and he entrusts it to a faithful servant and he pronounces judgment on the unfaithful servant. Those who are faithful over a little get a lot more. But those who will not serve the master will in the end lose absolutely everything. The master commands, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, that's the language of hell. Bringing, bring the parable back to real life. What Jesus is showing us is that a person who will not get under his grace, a person who will not get under his grace will be lost forever. And so we say expect judgment if you refuse to follow Christ. Those who refuse Jesus do not love God. Those who refuse Jesus will not serve God. And those who refuse Jesus will lose everything at the judgment. Remember what the Bible teaches us. All of us have committed sin against God. Because of God's infinite perfection, our sin deserves an infinite eternal punishment. And God sent Jesus, God the Son, to this earth to rescue people from that punishment. So here is your choice. Come to Jesus, get under His grace, and find joy in life forever. That's option A. 
or refuse Jesus, turn your back on the only way to be forgiven by God and willingly walk into the eternal wrath of God. Folks, it's that simple. Do you want grace? Believe. Believe that you are a sinner. That should not be hard because we all are. Believe that Jesus is God the Son who came to rescue you. Believe that Jesus lived a perfect human life and died as a sacrifice for others' sins on the cross and rose again from the dead. Believe that Jesus will save everyone who comes to him in faith. Believe in Jesus and repent. Turn your back on the idea that you get to be your own master. Willingly get under his authority instead of yours. Turn from your sin as you entrust your soul to Jesus for salvation. You know, for most who are saved, this believing and repenting comes in a moment. God opens your eyes to see your sin and Christ's goodness. And to be honest, guys, you feel terrible for your rebellion against God and your dirty impurity. And you desperately, fearfully want to be forgiven. So what do you do? You pray, right? Isn't that pretty much what you did? You, you call out to God, whether you're kneeling, whether you're standing, whether you're in bed, whether you're in the car, you, you cry out to God and you tell God, God, I know I'm guilty, but I believe in Jesus. You tell God, I want to follow you from now on because I'm messing things up really bad. And you ask Jesus, please, Jesus, forgive me. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. And if you're genuinely saved, you're going to see it because your life is going to change. You're going to grow in affection for and trust in your God. You're going to want to serve God. You're going to want to see his kingdom influence grow. You're going to learn to worship the Lord. You're going to, you, you'll learn to love the people of God. You'll become a faithful servant. Guys, Christ calls us all to come to him, to be forgiven, and to become faithful servants. He's going to return to this earth, and he's going to judge. And if you refuse Jesus, you have to expect a terrible judgment to fall on you. But if you repent and believe, if you repent and believe, you'll be saved. And if you come to Jesus for salvation, you're going to want to work to serve him for the reward of joy. Let's bow together. And let's pray. Lord God, again, we come before you. And again, we acknowledge, Lord, that we need your mercy. We need your grace. We need you to, well, Lord, to save the souls of those who are here and don't know you. We need you to do that, God, because we can't do it. But we also need you, for those who do know you, we need you to work in us that we might love you, that we might serve you, that we might honor you. We, we, we need you to, to make us not disrespect you and disobey you like the one servant did, but, but rather to, to long for the joy set before us. God, God, help us that we might hear from you the well done, good and faithful servant. We, we want to be your good and faithful servants. 
So please, God, work in our hearts to make us that. But we thank you, God, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Because without his righteousness, we have no hope. So as the Lord Jesus stands before your throne and pleads on our behalf, Father, we just ask that you would hear his plead, pleading on our behalf and transform us to your glory. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.